This is Restless, the podcast with a hundred thousand downloads. Welcome back to Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed going daily again because of a hundred thousand downloads. I am joined by Pastor Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm ready to always uh, discuss a little bit more Mark Driscoll. That's right. Bread and butter here. We are doing a pretty normal episode, but fortunately on this week we go daily, the next episode in line was a very short 15-minute episode. Uh, Leading up to our celebration of 100,000 views, I asked our audience a number of questions. I asked our audience if they wanted to do an Ask Us Anything well, they didn't. We had only one person ask us a question, but we're going to answer it. We're going to honor it. So we're going to thank the, the guys at the Carpe Fide podcast. They asked us this question. Pastor Michael, are you ready? I'm ready. On a scale from one to 73, how based are you? <laughs> Why 73? You'll have to ask them. Uh, I don't really know what based means. Um <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's like, I I feel like it was a very like right wing thing that kind of slowly like permeated into like just everybody's language where now it's just like, if you're generally conservative base just means like, that's a cool thing. Like, man, that's cool. Uh, And so in that way, I think we're pretty cool. Uh, You know, I, I think what we do is, is pretty, uh, pretty neat. I think neat maybe is a good way to put it. We are on a scale from one to on the the base scale. We are neat. So you tell us, you tell me where that falls. So we would like to remind you that this week you can share, if you share our podcast or rate and review it on iTunes or somewhere where you can write a review and you send it to us, tag us on social media, we will send you a restless sticker. And at the end of the week, we are going to give away some electronic copies of the Deacon of God and Pastor Michael's book on forgiveness. Yeah, but I mean, today this is uh, we we made it to 100k. This is awesome. I mean, it really is. This is a pretty serious moment for the podcast, and so we want to celebrate that with you. So go ahead and do that, and we'd love to uh, give you something for it. But today we are going to once again join with Christianity Today, and we are going to question the origin myth of Mark Driscoll. So, Pastor Michael, TG, uh, not TGC. I'm getting confused. The Goss? Nope, not again. <laughs> Christianity they're all the same now it's all letters to us (laughs) that's right Christianity Today wrote released a short episode and if you are not familiar to what we're doing here is I am listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill live Pastor Michael has listened to this show and we are reviewing it step by step episode by episode because we really believe this is not just a piece of straight journalism or entertainment it is something that as a Christian because it is about the church and it makes claims about the church we need to engage with discernment. And so they released a very short episode called Questioning the Origin Myth, discussing the often told story of Pastor Mark Driscoll telling how he came to be the pastor who planted Mars Hill. Because, right, Pastor Michael, they are right. He told this story a lot, right? I heard it so many times. I like, I mean, I can basically just quote it. Uh, that, you know, he, well, I will probably play a clip of him saying it. Right. Uh, but there were four things. What are his four things? It was, you know, God spoke directly to him for one, like we've, and we've talked about this before. Like this is, uh, this is something that he said often, but this is God spoke audibly, 
uh, and he he uh, would make jokes sometimes about what God's voice sounded like to him, which why uh, it's pretty rough. <laughs> Uh, but he said what, uh, you know, I'm supposed to, uh, marry, marry grace, marry his wife. Uh, he's supposed to, uh, plant a church. He's supposed to what teach the Bible and train up men or something like that. Yep. That is what he said. And he said it over and over and Christianity today comes in with an, actually they, (laughs) they have decided we have to meme that we got to get a good, uh, (laughs) CP meme. Yep. Uh, they've decided that actually perhaps he crafted this message over time and that this wasn't actually what led him to plant the church. And so as I've shared every time, the thesis I believe they're trying to say in this episode is that Mark Driscoll's calling to ministry was crafted to fit the mission of the church and was an important way Driscoll gathered people's loyalty to himself. And so sounds good. Sounds about right. We are going to we are going to walk through this with them. We're going to decide how well, how this matches other founding myth stories. If he, if we think based on the clips they share, if that proves that Driscoll was indeed lying, that he made this up. Um, and if this was important and what we can learn over it. So let's play our first clip. I was called into ministry through a prophetic word. I was praying and God spoke to me. He said, plan churches, study the Bible, marry grace, train young men. Boom. Pastor Michael, you're four for four. Well, I feel like I didn't get it quite right. I don't remember what I said, but it wasn't quite in the same words anyway. I should have known better. I heard it enough times that I should have known better. Right? I had a guy recently say, how do you know that was a Lord? What the? <laughs> study your Bible? <laughs> like... <laughs> marry the pastor's daughter train young men and start churches like well, where do you think that came from like if it was you know uh, sleep with another pastor's wife and preach the Bhagavad Gita and start mosques and train you know Rottweilers well maybe that would be Satan you know but it wasn't that you know I was like well I don't think Satan like wants people doing like intense Bible teaching Pastor Michael Funny as always, Pastor Mark. Here's the question he got asked, though. How did you know that was the Lord? Is that a is that a fair question? It's a very fair question. And you love how he played it off like, uh, and I don't even know if this happened, right? Like, we've talked about this. This is a funny bit. And yep. so, like, it's it's not out of the question that this was just a guy who happened to be the guy. Like, he, he's just, he's become a character in this little uh, bit that he does. But uh, the he plays the question off as it's either God or the devil, right? Right. Instead of, Hey, maybe it was just like an idea that you had. And that's all it was like, maybe, maybe yes. it was not because and the issue is not that like the things that he was told to do by this voice are like, this is bad. These are bad things. No, it's, it's not that um, it's the problem is that you are uh, taking a kind of authority that is not yours you know like it's you're you're saying that just like the the prophets of the old testament or the apostles in the new testament god spoke directly to me and told me to do these things therefore it implicitly has the authority of god himself behind it so whatever happens from here on out as long as i'm doing those four things this is from god directly and 
And that is the problem. I mean, and to be clear, he uses, I received it by a prophetic word. Yes. And, and interestingly, this is not the point that Christianity Today takes the greatest issue with. Pastor Michael and I are certain that is not true. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not, I, I'm not saying if I believe he thinks that or not, but I am certain he's not right. There are, we need to do our episode on winsomely presenting cessationism because there are no prophetic words like that coming today. You did not, that is not how we got that calling. And I, and it's, I'm not denying that there isn't a possibility of calling whether he had it or not is, is beside the point, but of all the clips we're going to play, that is where I go. No. And the truth is many, many people have been hurt by hurt themselves or by others by believing they received a call in this kind of supernatural means. Yeah. And, and it's, it's easy to convince yourself by the way, that like, I'm like, there's something, there's this, this voice in my head and I just, I know what this is. I know that this belongs to the Lord and this is what I'm supposed to do. And it really does. There's so many stories um, that of like people I know personally of myself in my own Christian life, where it just, in the end, it's like, oh, wait, no, I guess I was wrong, you know? Right. And that's just, that's not something I don't, I don't think that when you hear the voice of God telling you to do something, you're going to go uh, like, oh, it, it could be, or it couldn't be. Right. You know, like this is not a, it's not a question. Um, it, it's, it's not in doubt. And what God says is going to happen. Right. And, and the big deal is when we think about, right. Cause he says how, you know, of course I would, it would be condemnable. It'd be satanic if, you know, it was, you know, sin, you know, teach false teaching, right. All of these things we know it was bad is now certainly false prophets in the Bible. False teachers are com- are condemned for teaching bad things for licentiousness, for teaching against the law, teaching against doctrine. But Jeremiah interestingly says, when he talks about the prophets, God says this to him, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name, replied the Lord. I did not send them or appoint them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, a worthless divination, and the futility and delusion of their own minds. Jeremiah 14, 14. God is commending them because they claim to have a word from him that is not from him. That, yeah, that so alone it, that's makes so that is problem. at least at the least you could say even if you know you're somebody you don't uh, agree with us completely on on that like we can say yep this didn't happen um you can at least say uh that it is possible for that to happen right like mm-hmm. it, it is possible for somebody to say god spoke to me and they are wrong about it it's possible for you to think god spoke to me and you could be wrong about it that's at least a possibility and then we just look at hey like what happened at mars hill right you know, did that have the blessing of God that comes with his like speaking, like this is what you're going to go do. And, and then what you have to do, if you think we're wrong about this, and I believe this is a difficult task, you have to explain to me how we can know for sure. How can we know for sure if a prophetic word was spoken? Yep. I do not think that is an easy task. So I may do a lot more defending of some of the things Driscoll says, but I thought it was, I guess I thought I should say, here's part of the founding of Mars Hill. I, I'm not, I don't believe. No, I just don't see that. You've heard this origin story before, along with the story of how Mark came to faith, which he usually told just before it. Here's a version of that story from 2007. And then uh, I was sitting in my dorm 
um, reading the Bible that this lovely gal had given me. Uh, at this point, she was my girlfriend, and we were uh, three, four hundred miles apart, going to different colleges. And up until this point, to be honest with you, I had really no interest in Jesus and no interest in the Bible, but she had given me this very nice Bible with my name stamped on the front. And uh, so I began reading it, and I, I remember sitting on my bed in my dormitory reading Romans 1 that says, And you are called from among those to belong to Jesus Christ. And I remember the Spirit of God absolutely flipping a switch in me. And I believe that is when God regenerated me. Uh, If you're an Arminian, that's when I gave my life to the Lord. If you're a Calvinist, that's when I was saved by God. Um, Wink, wink. So, Pastor Michael, I think it's safe to say I agree with Christianity Today. These are the two standard stories that Driscoll told about how he came to faith and why he planted Marcel Church. And so Christianity Today goes on to say, but if you listen to him in other contexts, you begin to hear other stories. If you listen early, the planting of Mars Hill Church sounds very different. And they, they make two shocking comparisons. One, they go into a long analogy about the similarities to Atlas Shrugged, which I feel like if there's the like way you lose an argument online, if you ever, whoever brings up the Nazis first should lose the argument. If you make a comparison to Atlas Shrugged, I think you should also automatically (laughs) lose the argument. But they say that basically what Driscoll is doing in these calling stories is what you have from Silicon Valley companies. That they go through a bunch of these kind of founding myths of Apple, all these companies starting in the garage and how it's this kind of really, that it's essential to the feel of the company that we made it out of the garage. And they point out that yeah, some of these companies did start in garages, but they also had development happening in Stanford Labs and they had hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. Right. And that 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 these stories aren't so much as true, but they are designed to to form some kind of a brand identity or an ethos in the company. Yeah, it's an interesting connection to think about like a tech entrepreneur. Um, and there is this like weird desire to always be like, yeah, I, you know, and maybe it's just a distinctly like, uh, modern American thing. Like you want to be able to say, yeah, I was, I was poor. I had nothing. And so everything that has happened now, like this is all because I was able to do this much, you know, whatever. That's a very like tech entrepreneur way of doing things. Uh, there's a lot of churches that will like do this too, where it's like, you know, we were, you know, we're this big mega church, but we started off with, you know, almost nothing. Um, we've talked in the past. We started on, in think, a living room. That's a big one that you yeah. hear in every mega church. Yeah, we started in a living room. And like, of course, like that's, that is how churches start, right? Like right. They, they start with a few people that are going to do this. And it's great. And I'm not against people like yeah. sharing that. Like, yeah, we started little and here we are, we're still going. And that can be, that can be a testament to the grace of God, uh, preserving uh, a people over time. So yes. I'm, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but there is a distinct like desire um, rather than like, you know, hey, we uh, are a church that was planted out of a really healthy growing church that sent with us, you know, 50 people and we just started off strong and like it was great. Like that's a really great thing, too. Um, right. That that sounds uh, fantastic. Um, I don't like whenever uh, yeah. there people would get criticized sometimes in like popular culture when it's like, you know, oh, they're this big businessman. Oh, but they had like, uh, you know, a bunch of money from like an inheritance. And that's how they started this big business. I'm like, okay, I like, why, why is that, uh, like a dig on somebody if 
like if they had an opportunity that maybe we don't all get um that's oh. okay i mean hey restless started off in a small pizza place and right. uh here we are today 100k Boom. that's right <laughs> I and take back I, everything I said. You I should do think, think that we're pretty cool. I know we should. We should probably really play up the. We're just two homely little boys from Wisconsin. <laughs> we hardly knew anything, and now we're going after the big. We the didn't big, even big Eva boat. Use computers. I know. <laughs> we figured I, it all out on our own. <laughs> I think that what is, what is interesting is I think you said two things that caught my attention on this this idea in general. First. I think you're right. It can be a testimony to the grace of God. But two, I think it is this, the problem with it in general is this, where we start to favor a certain kind of testimony. That there is a, there are testimonies of churches that kind of came up out of nowhere, thank God. But there are testimonies of churches that have a sound, sounding like a kind of ordinary means of grace story. And just think about, it's the same thing with personal conversions. Nobody wants you to share your testimony. If I was raised by Christian parents, they yeah. taught me the scriptures. And it's you a, know what? This is I've, a great point. And I've never questioned the truths of the scriptures in my entire life. Now, I haven't always lived up to them, but that's why my parents taught me about the need for repentance and that Jesus forgives my sins. No one wants to hear that story. They all want the, the dramatic story. And so I think that there is, there is a, the, and both that and the drug dealer who, repents and then writes you know what's the more than a switchblade or whatever book, yeah the cross and the switchblade the cross and the switchblade book about their conversion both of those can be a story for grace of god we in probably a very man-centered way favor one over the other now here's my other point before i let you talk or we move on I've realized thinking about why does, wow, it, it was shocking to me when I realized, oh, every megachurch I know of tells some version of the, we were in a living room story. Yep. I think probably when you're at a church of 10,000 people, you feel basically zero connection. The idea that this church was kind of born in this like close knit community actually probably is pretty necessary to endear yourself, to feel any connection to it, right? Yep. Like, I don't walk into a, you know, right. You don't walk into these major arenas and feel connection to anyone there. And so I think that that might be even why the mega churches, they all have to have the, we were in a living room. Yeah. You have to have a founding myth because you're trying to invent community out of a really like artificial where there is uh, no situation. no natural community. Yep. There's no natural community. There's no natural connection to each other. And so we have to find a way to develop it. That's a really interesting point. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I just thought even while you were saying this, um, I remember back, um, I think about this often actually, which is funny. I remember back to uh, the days of the elephant room and which we're still going to uh, have to watch through sometime. Maybe that's what we could do for our uh, 250,000 uh, views or, or downloads. If, so if we get to a quarter of a million, maybe we'll try to live stream watch through the elephant room if it's available somewhere. Uh, but I remember when that came out, and I was just interested to see who are all these people. I didn't know who all these like really like big name people were that were going to be a part of this. I knew Matt Chandler. I knew Mark Driscoll. I think I knew James McDonald at the time, but I didn't know um, a bunch of these other people that were a part of this big group um, and these like supposedly really well-known pastors. And so I went through and I looked like they had links to like all of their churches. So I went on each of their church websites 
And uh, one of them was Stephen Furtick, who has yeah. become uh, very like notorious nowadays in a way that he wasn't then. He was known, like he was known as like this big name, um, but he was not, he had not gone to the extent that he's gone where they have like, you know, the Sunday school colors, children's coloring books of Pastor Furtick and like that and, kind of stuff. And sometimes people share clips of him that are negative. How could yeah. they? That's, <laughs> That's not right. helpful. That's maybe, yeah, probably not helpful, but um <laughs> But uh, I remember going on and they had this like documentary on their like homepage. Like the first thing you see is like this documentary video uh, where it just tells the story of the church and how it was founded. It was literally this, right? It was this founding myth of like, like this is how it started. And they had all these like old like pictures and video of the original like guys who started the church. And they all looked like regular guys, including Furtick. Like he just looked like a regular dude. He had a regular haircut. He like, he just was a normal person wearing normal clothes. Like he's just got a flannel and jeans on. And then all of a sudden it would flip to modern day when they're sitting down in this really fancy place talking about how like this church has grown so much and look how amazing it is. Every single one of them that was like in the before and now the after had these like faux hawk, really stylish haircuts that I'm sure they spent a lot of money on. Every one of them looked like they were probably wearing makeup. All of them were wearing like bedazzled, like really tight jeans and things like that. Like they they all looked like they had been manicured, you know, after this point. And it was so interesting to watch. And that right there, that's all I had to see. And I was like, "Ooh, I don't like this at all. I don't I don't know anything about this, but I don't like it at all. Yeah. And, and they put out that clip themselves. Yeah, I think, yes. I think what is just interesting is the more I think about this, mega churches are death to community. And if, and if you are, even if you're leaving a faithful mega church, this is a thing you have to think about, right? You come into church, we turn the lights off so you can't see the people that you're at church with. We blast the music so you can't hear the people you're at church with. We have multiple services. So it's like a movie theater. I'm just coming in and out. Maybe I say hi to people. If I saw a friend at a movie, I was like, hey, I just saw that. That was cool. See you later. Obviously, we don't do that anymore because you're probably you know, that would that's too dangerous. That's, and who, that's right. Who who am I to ever think you're, that you're would probably be. also never meeting your like the pastor, like the, the pastor right. that's up front, right? The teaching pastor. You probably are never meeting him. And that's and that's death to community. So it's probably comforting to think that these people who no longer look like normal people once had a normal looking living room like you. Yeah, right. Yeah, we used to live in those dinky little houses with just with just one living room. We, right. we used to live like that too. Now look at us. That's right. So let's we better keep going. We we are far afield. So we're going to listen to the next clip where uh it's a different clip of Driscoll explaining how he came to plant Mars Hill. It's a messy truth. In reading uh, the New Testament in college, uh, actually in the Bible that's sitting next to me from a woman that had given it to me, she's now my wife, we've been married eight years and have two kids, uh, came to the realization that the majority of the New Testament, particularly Paul's writings, I thought was complete nonsense. This is from the Dick Staub show in the year 2000, four years into planting Mars Hill. Rather than opening his Bible one night and being knocked over by the book of Romans, he tells a story of conversion that took place over time, where the biggest influence wasn't Paul, but Augustine's Confessions, which he read as an assignment for a class. There are other interesting discrepancies in this interview. He describes himself growing up as a good kid, well-behaved, determined, and studious, and he mentions being president of his high school class. It's far from the origin story we'd hear later of the street brawler who grew up with bullets whizzing by his head. The story takes yet another surprising turn a little later, 
And Staub asks him about his vision for church planting. So now, now you, you decide to follow Jesus. How do you end up pastoring a church and even starting a church? Uh, through a conversation with a homosexual friend, which was an interesting twist in the story. There was one guy who was the most zealous, bizarre, t-shirt, bumper sticker, nut job Christian possible. <laughs> and he felt like it was his job to bring me to, to Jesus. And yeah. not just any old Jesus, but the Jesus he had a picture of, which I'm still not convinced was a good picture. But he was an in-the-closet uh, homosexual who was also a practicing youth pastor. And so we were talking one night, and he said, well, what are you going to study in college? I said, well, I'm going to study uh, speech so I can be a preacher. He said, why is that? So I said, I've seen the Bible about that guy named Paul. He seemed like he was pretty courageous and started churches, and I know I'm going to end up doing that. And he said, well, you don't even go to church. You don't. I said, I know. Yeah. Uh, that'll all get worked out somehow. I know I'm just, I'm kind of stuck with this. I'm going to yeah. have to be. And so he and I had a long conversation, and out of that, I started a Bible study that week, and I got a bunch of guys together. I said, I'm going to be your teacher, and you can ask me any question you want, but I can't tell you the answer until next week because I have no idea what the answers are. Can we just say how incredible it is when he said, you know, I don't go to church, but I'm going to work it out. The the host of this Christian show is like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah how, oh, of course. <laughs> how, how, how incredible that is. Um, two, I, I'll just say part of, if you want to learn Part of what Driscoll does rhetorically well without having to go to all of the excesses, Driscoll always subverts what you think he's about to say, right? So how did you come to want to be in ministry? Through a conversation with a, an open homosexual, right? He's, he's always looking for an angle of how to put it in a way that kind of just is like, I need to listen a little closer because that yeah, is it not... destabilizes you a little bit and you're, you're much more interested for sure. And, and that's effective. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my opinion because maybe Pastor Michael will disagree with me. I think based on this clip, she, as in Christianity today, doth protest too much. I think this is basically consistent with what he said all the time. Hmm. Because even the idea of like the Bible plopped open and I became converted. Okay, one, we are always looking for you to tell the moment of your conversion. Yep. And two, it usually involves something that took time. Yep. It, it actually took time. Now, the other big thing is, um, even in this uh, conversation that happened or not, he apparently still at that point said, I have to plant a church, right? Somehow he was, that was a drive very, that he felt. Now he didn't mention prophetic words or whatever, um, but I think this is basically consistent. And I think it's consistent for two reasons. Actually, no, I won't share my reasons. Pastor Michael, what, what's your assessment of the comparison of these two stories? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I Because I even think about, you know, different ways that I've shared with people how, like, you know, how uh, I came to believe. Yeah. And I can, like, share it in multiple ways, right? So I can give the, like, well, I was raised in a Christian home and my parents faithfully, like, brought me to church and taught me about Jesus. And, you know, um, at, you know, at some point I believed. I can also say that there's a moment in my teenage years where I was not praying. I was not like specifically like trying to think about the things of God, but I was literally washing dishes at a Bible camp. And I like, there was just a moment of like, all of it came like to grips in my life. And I realized that I like, this is real. Like this, like God is real. Everything that I've been taught is real. 
and I need to like, uh, like know Christ. And that was the first time that like, I started to read my Bible with like a personal desire, right? I, I, you know, grown up in a Christian home. I'd heard the Bible. I'd read the Bible some, but like, as far as like, I, like I desire to go and read the Bible, I just went and I just started to read the Bible and like, and, and sometimes I will say it like, yeah, I started to read the Bible and I've never stopped. So like I can, I could say, and it be legitimately true that like, I like when often people think of conversion, quote unquote, that it seems to me that I was converted while washing dishes at a Bible camp, not praying, not thinking about the things of God necessarily. And something just changed in my heart. I had this deep desire to know and, and, and follow God. And I started to read my Bible, you know, that night um, with a like earnestness that has continued. And that's not wrong. It just would not be the whole story. Right. And so like when you fill things out, when you're, when you're just giving that little blurb, um, you can kind of, you know, it's just the way we talk, you know, this is, this is language. I think sometimes this kind of gotcha journalism, you're looking for every little detail and we do this sometimes. Um, we'll we'll be honest. We, (laughs) we, we, we do this. We pull apart every little word and are like, Oh, but you didn't say this, or you didn't do this. And the reality is that, I mean, you can say things multiple ways and it not be wrong. And, Uh, and, and you're saying, I I'm, I'm understanding. You're saying that it is actually also even legitimate to emphasize dis- different parts of your testimony or walk with the Lord, depending on who you're speaking to and the purpose so. for which you're sharing it. Yeah, I think so. I think that's perfectly legitimate. I think if you don't think, I think if one, if you don't think that's legitimate, right, it's it's basically impossible to summarize anything. Yeah. But but two, I think that basically evangelicals are trained to do this, that if, right, yeah, if I'm speaking exactly. to someone who has, um, who is in rebellion against God, well, I'm probably going to, try and talk to them about the ways I've rebelled and, and why, what, why am I going to do that? Because I want them to, to hear about when I rebelled, this is what the Bible told me I had to do because I'm, I'm telling it to them. If I'm talking to my children who I want to be raised in the Lord, I want to tell them how thankful I was for my Christian parents. And again, it's almost funny because it's, we're almost getting to the point of the, um, of the like what critical scholars do with the gospels. Oh, yep. you didn't include this detail. Yeah, seriously. So it That's must exactly be, what I was thinking. It must be not true. Um, and I do think I, you know, I don't, I don't know Driscoll. I don't know his story. I do know that my wife has been told, right? If you ask her, she would say, I don't know the moment I became a Christian. I do know that there has been at least one pastor who said, Well, if you're gonna share your testimony, you need to be able to say just just say you had a moment, just pick a moment. That was the moment you were converted because again, it was considered so essential. Yep. She, she can describe what it was like to be converted. She'll tell you, this is, these were the things happening in my life that I believe God used to bring me to a walk with the Lord. And, and it might even reflect the story that pastor Michael shared about himself, but this idea, but again, it's this, if you have a, if you have a church that is kind of built on or just you're an evangelical we're built on this kind of idea of a moment and so i it's not surprising that driscoll eventually summarizes this thing as i was reading romans and i got converted even if it included reading augustine reading romans for a while you know obviously he was dating a pastor's daughter right so he was involved in christianity to some extent Now, it can be said that there are inconsistencies and in, in ways that this developed over time and like like yep. changed, I think, um, even where like 
people have pointed out before that, you know, Driscoll has shared on social media, like, you know, here, I still have the Bible that Grace gave me all those years ago. And it's like an ESV Bible that wasn't even in print when this happened. So there's things like that where it's like, okay, it has obviously become this huge story that he has to keep with. Yeah, let's get that because they they get to that in this last clip. Oh, do they talk about, I couldn't Yeah, let's, nope, let's, and then let's talk about if, we will determine if we think this is uh, fabricated largely. Takes on religion, politics, and student life. It's all still online in their archives, too. In a column from October 1992 titled The Makings of a Lunatic, Driscoll described his conversion to Christianity in some detail, referring to a resident in the same hall as him as the most rabid Bible thumper ever. It was arguments with this friend that led him to start studying the Bible and other Christian books, just hoping to prove this guy wrong. He failed, though. My life was at a crossroads, he wrote. I was stuck between two options. The first consisted in continuing in my old ways and rejecting the truth I'd found. The other was a frightening alternative, dying in a very real way to the Lordship of Christ. With Staub's interview, he tells the story of becoming a pastor without hearing the audible voice of God. In this column, he tells the story of becoming a Christian without Grace Driscoll and without even the Bible that he so often referenced in his other stories. It's an argument from silence to say that the Bible wasn't there or that she played no role in all of this, but you'd also think she might have been on his mind. This was October 92. They'd gotten married just two months earlier in August. There's one other kind of funny wrinkle in this storytelling. Small enough, it almost seems like nitpicking. What are you laughing about, Pastor? I just, uh, like, uh, so I had this experience. Let me share this. Maybe this could go to bonus content sometime or something. Um, just two or three weeks after I got married to my wife, uh, we went on a couple's retreat for a, a, a kind of group that I was in as part of my seminary education. Uh, we went to this nice resort. Uh, they brought in a speaker to like, you know, talk to us about something I don't even remember, but like the wives were invited to come with. And it was this like, you know, cool opportunity to go to this, this uh, fun resort in Lake Geneva. And the first night you have all these couples sitting around and it had us like they had us go around the room. There was maybe like 20 or 30 people total and and kind of share. Hey, what's your name? You know uh, what? You know, what is something like exciting that's happened to you recently? And it got to me and I said, well, I can't really think of anything recently that's been exciting. But what I did think of in that moment was a time earlier that summer when I had been at a camp and I, we had been throwing throwing tomahawks. And I had picked up three tomahawks with one hand and I threw all three and stuck all three in a target. Wow. And I shared this story. And then it goes to my wife who I had just married three weeks ago or two <laughs> weeks ago, or maybe even less. I don't know. I mean, it was, it was very recent. And she says, well, uh, we just got married and the whole room, <laughs> the whole room, the whole room just went completely silent. And I was like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> And so when it's like, you know, well, she should have been on his mind, you know, he was just married two months ago. I'm like, well, uh, (laughs) maybe maybe that just comes with time. I don't know. I'm I'm not going to get him on that one. Let's put it that way. Do you know what? I actually think that's quite honestly fair. So right after I got married, like right after I got married, right. When you're supposed to be trying to do your best, right. We were at my parents' house. And when I was at my parents' house, especially in college, they would keep like frozen beef patties in, in their freezer. And I would always go and I would grill myself hamburgers whenever I was hungry. Oh, uh, no. What a great life. And so I was making myself lunch one day and just having a great time. I went out to the grill, nice December day. 
grilled myself a burger, came in, sat down and started eating. And my wife, who I'd been married to for one week, sat down in, in her in-laws house, right? She doesn't know them well. We've been married a week. And she goes, so what should I eat for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> so I had literally just like da, 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 made, made this like delicious looking burger without at any point <laughs> referencing my wife, what she would eat. Oh my goodness. Or, or whatever and so yeah let's not we're not going to get on this guy for this one because we've uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> otherwise we're in trouble and so anyways no just a funny story uh but but i think we're going to get the very the very end the tail end of this clip might be might be something worth getting him over but it came up on mark's instagram on march 21st of this year when he posted a picture of himself holding a threadbare black bible he wrote, some 30 years ago, my beautiful girlfriend and eventual wife gave me this Bible. It was yet another callback to his origin story as a pastor. The only trouble is, the Bible in the picture, worn out as it may be, is an English Standard Version, a translation that was first published in 2001, more than a decade after Grace gave him his first Bible. That, that is really cringe-inducing, where yeah, that ends, pretty, by the way. That, that's pretty brutal. Um, and they go on to mention that the the, the uh, social media post got edited. So, Pastor Michael is based on these clips, right? Christianity Today plays these three clips and goes that this is a this is a crafted story. Yeah. Um, I mean, is he telling the truth? Uh, even here, though, like so. Although I even brought up this Bible story, and I was like, "Well, I like that's pretty bad." Um, you're at this point where you have a social media team. You send them a picture of you holding a Bible or something and they like put up whatever they want. Um, that's very possibly what's going on here. Maybe they didn't know, right? Maybe, you know, it, I think it's very likely that Driscoll, like in so many other circumstances, like we've seen, um, he, he kind of hyperbolizes things. He, he says things in a way that's more shocking or more interesting. Um, he kind of plays things up in a way that honestly all of us do, um, or at least the vast, vast majority of us do. I know that I do it. <laughs> okay. I, I, as I like to say, I always use hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I get that. I get the playing certain things up. And like when you're retelling a story, a lot of the time you're not adding in little facts that will take away from the main thrust of what you're trying to do with a story. Um, and so I think it's possible that a lot of the time it's been more that. Now, you also have to say, I think that there's been a lot of image crafting. There's been a lot of building. There's been a lot of, you know, like little tweaks and changes along the way that at some point you might want to say, well, this is, it's getting, it's at, at the very least, it, it appears to be a bit dishonest when you're constantly changing and, and kind of scrubbing it clean and, and making it look different than, than it actually happened. Um, the, you know, as we started, like the very idea that like you have this commission from God, which failed by the way. So that, right. I mean, that we just have to bring that up. Um, like it, it failed spectacularly. And like, so if, if this was from God, you have to make an account of that. Right. And uh, so, so, you know, I, this is my winsome nuance take. Um, I, I don't know that I can say like, clearly this was all made up and it was faint. I, I think that probably they're playing this up too much. Like we said, they're trying to nitpick it a little bit too much. And also probably it was a little bit hyperbolized at the least. Yeah. It, it obviously doesn't help. Right. They, he was obviously, or whoever was posting for social media 
They were caught in a lie, quite obviously. Um, but I think I think his conversion story and what and whatever charismatic experience or whatever whatever led him to want to plant Mars Hill are basically intact. I don't think it was through a prophetic word, as we already mentioned, but I I think it basically survived, which is pretty interesting. And so I actually think it's just as likely that they wanted to find a way to prepackage everything he said into making it match a Silicon Valley clip. Now, that being said, I do think it was crafted as I think they said it was, he told it and told it and told it over and over again, because for him, it was communicating something about what we often talk and this. I just hate the way this is spoken about the DNA of the church, what he wanted to what. So pastor Michael, what is he infusing every time he says this to people? Uh, so there's the uh, like the authority behind it, right? So like this yeah. is we are on a commission from God Himself, and so there's like this this kind of uh, implicit authoritative backing to everything that we're doing. Um, there's clearly the like you know uh, the hey we started from humble beginnings and now look at us. So there's the like wow like we can be proud of kind of where we're at and and where we're going and this is just the beginning and and uh, uh, that sort of of mentality. Um, which I think, like we said, it, it kind of builds a kind of community, right? When you can be brought into the very beginning of the church, right? You, you want that beginning to the end. Like you have that whole story. And that's what Driscoll would do, right? Here's how it began. God told me to do this. And so I did it. And here's how it's going to end. I'm going to preach my own funeral, get in the coffin. And, and that's it. Like, that's here's how this is going to work. Here's how you're in it now. And right, yep. what that can mean for you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, I think it also enshrined the charismatic gifts. Yeah. The, the, the emphasis on the charismatic gifts. I've not listened to the episode, but the next episode is called demon hunter. So I, I would guess we're going to get some more uh, charismatic stuff yeah. because. Right. Well, it's definitely something. And a lot of it has to do with uh, kind of the, like, com- not the community groups, but like the, the counseling group kind of way that they, they went about doing things. So and, it, boy, oh boy. and boy, oh boy, do I remember Driscoll talking about demons a lot. Um, I, and I do think now, I think that these are things they point out in the episode as what this was communicating. Now, I want to say one thing, Christian, you have this story. You have the charismatic beginning of the church. You are connected to a church that will begin, that began with a charismatic calling from heaven and will end, well, with you in the grave, you with Christ. That's what we have acts for. We, yep. we do have that and we do need that connection. And I do think that probably, I think that there are, Every church probably in its members class, it's appropriate for them to talk about where the church came from, those kinds of things. And if you're a church planter, what made you want to plant the church? Or what, if you're Pastor Michael, what made you want to come be part of this church and carry on this ministry? And what made the people who started the church want to start it? I think that's appropriate. I think it is. I think it becomes a notable thing. I've, I've gone and I've listened to Pastor Michael. I've listened to the other people at the church. Do you know what I've never really heard in the service? I've never heard anyone mention where the church came from or why. This, And I mean, by this, I mean the local church. Because it's not a regimented part of the liturgy or sermon. It is not. And, and this is the fascinating thing where they leave it, is they leave it that Driscoll rehearsing his why he founded Mars Hill was a basically a liturgical element. Now yeah. they compare that to the need for liturgical element based on the common book of prayer and how those things shape us. So we're getting another running towards Anglicanism as yeah. the solution at the end. But I did find this point in general, interesting that this, 
that I think it there it is probably problematic if your church is like if there is a if a significant part of what you rehearse in church week after week is why my pastor is doing what he's doing yeah or that's why we meet where we meet yeah it definitely problematic I do like so one thing that I've found myself doing a lot and it's it's intentional. It's not like unintentional. So it's not that I've just found myself like I decide to do this, but, uh, but it's also something that just kind of flows naturally a lot of the time. Um, one thing that I do say often during, uh, the service, usually during a sermon is something like, Hey, that's, that's why we're here. You know, Hey, like, here's this, you know, statement about, you know, what Christ has done for us and how it leads us to, you know, glorify God with our lives and offer him sacrifices of praise hey, that's why we're here. Like, that's what we're doing. Um, so I find myself doing that in a sense, um, but obviously not as like, here's my personal story and what that means for us. Um, but there is a sense in which it makes sense to me that you would try to do something like that. I, th- I think that that matters, right? Hey, where are you? Like, here's, here's the map of your life. Where are you right now? What, it, what matters about this moment? Well, it matters that we're here to worship God. Uh, it matters that Christ has died for you. It matters that you're a part of this church that does span back. Um, to uh, Pentecost and even before uh, in in uh, the Old Testament times. And so so there is a sense in which I, I see the value of that for sure. Um, and if it's just you in your lifetime that gives you that place, uh, that's pretty problematic, especially like we see when you are no longer there. This has been your one of your wonderful daily 100K episodes. We're signing off here from the United States of Based of America. And we are, we're proud to be here. We started at humble beginnings. And now look at us. Look you at can, where we you're are. You're a part of this. You're, you're a, a part, part of this by supporting us, by going out and buying the book, uh, by going out and sharing this, by, by letting us know that you shared it so we can send you a sticker.